You know, it was Homer some 2,800 years ago in the Iliad who wrote, any moment might be our last. And I try to keep that in mind, while of course wishing that every any particular moment is not my last, but being perfectly aware that our days are limited, our weeks are limited. You know, you could get hit by a bus this morning when you're taking your morning walk or whatever. So we were never promised another day. This is Wine, Women, and Revolution with your host, Heather Warburton. Hi, and welcome to Wine, Women, and Revolution. I'm your host, Heather Warburton. Today, I've invited a guest back. I had him on the show, I think it's been like a year, a year and a half ago. And he was an amazing, he's probably my most downloaded show I've had to date. So I'm so excited to have you back on. Welcome back, Guy McPherson. Thank you, Heather. It's a pleasure to chat with you again. So I think I reached out to you maybe like three months ago to come back on the show. This was before any of this whole coronavirus thing was really, it was known, but it wasn't the pandemic that we're having now. And I kind of just wanted to ask you to come in and do the I told you so's of what had happened in the past year and a half (laughs) that kind of said you were correct. But I guess before we get into that, um, can you just give a little really brief because I'm going to link to the previous show of kind of what you're known for um, and a little bit of what is near term extinction? Yes. That's a great way to start. I'm Professor Emeritus at the University of Arizona, and I left campus life nearly 11 years ago to pursue living off-grid in the hope of extending my life and those of a few people I loved by moving off-grid, learning to grow my own food, having small livestock, including goats, become a master cheesemaker, blah, blah, blah. And then my further research specifically into something called the aerosol masking effect led me to believe that that was all ridiculous. It cost me a lot of money and a tremendous number of relationships. And it was all for naught because if this set of living arrangements that we affectionately refer to as civilization, if it goes away, then we go away too. We lose human habitat very, very quickly thereafter. So, you know, I spent all that money and all that time and it cost me all those relationships. And what did I get? I, I learned how to milk goats. You know, it's really not a, not a leading cause of living for anybody I know. <laughs> I mean, so if milking goats is your thing, you know, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, I don't feel bad about it. In fact, I remember uh, quite unfondly what somebody told me, somebody who was very dear to me, told me when they came and visited, said, I, I, I never thought one of my kids would be reduced to milking a goat. And no pun intended, apparently, on the kids <laughs> thing. So, you know, I've experienced a lot of declining relationships as a result of the mistakes I've made. That was among the leading one of the mistakes but i have subsequently become the for better and certainly for worse the world's leading authority on the topic of abrupt climate change leading to near-term human extinction a lot of people are losing habitat around the planet right now the ability to secure their water and their food and so they're trying to move elsewhere 
that's one of the reasons we have a border crisis on the southern border of the United States. Those people from Central America are not coming into the United States because they want to visit Disneyland. They're coming because they can no longer feed themselves living in Central America. I lived in Central America for about two and a half years. I know what that's like. And it's a, it's a close to the land sort of existence. And when the land doesn't provide anymore, it becomes very difficult to want to live in a place like that. So here we are years after I began speaking and writing about losing habitat for our species and it's going away. It's going away quite rapidly. We've become increasingly aware of the aerosol masking effect, sometimes called global dimming. And as a consequence, all that information leads me to believe that the end is pretty close. And, you know, it was Homer some 2,800 years ago in the Iliad who wrote, any moment might be our last. And I try to keep that in mind while, of course, wishing that every any particular moment is not my last, but being perfectly aware that our days are limited, our weeks are limited. You know, you could get hit by a bus this morning when you're taking your morning walk or whatever. So we were never promised another day. I try to keep that in mind and live with gratitude and also with urgency. So can we just touch real briefly on what is the aerosol masking effect? Just, you know, a couple of minutes on what that is. If people didn't listen, don't want to listen to the last podcast. Right. And, you know, this is one of the least understood aspects of climate change. I've been studying climate change for more than 35 years, and I only discovered how critically important it was in 2012. So... Here's the deal. At the same time that industrial activity, industrial civilization produces these greenhouse gases that most people know about. Most people are familiar with carbon dioxide or CO2. Some people are familiar with methane, CH4 as well. Some people know that water vapor itself is a greenhouse gas and so on. And there are some 40 plus of these greenhouse gases up there in the atmosphere that act as something of a blanket the sunlight hits planet Earth, it, it heats up planet Earth, some of the incoming radiation, the sunlight, bounces back out in space, some of it warms the Earth, and the greenhouse gases trap the long-wave radiation into further heating the Earth. What most people are unfamiliar with, and with, which I didn't know a thing about until about 2012, by which I made my mistake, is something called the aerosol masking. If you can find more information at guymcpherson.com. I've written a couple of peer-reviewed articles about the aerosol masking effect. Here's the deal. At the same time, industrial activity produces greenhouse gases that act as a blanket and warm the planet. Industrial activity also produces these things called aerosols. These aerosols go into the atmosphere and they act as a shield or an umbrella so that incoming sunlight can't even get to the planet to heat it up. They bounce back, they reflect back incoming radiation. How important is this aspect? According to a paper in the February 2018 issue of Science, one of the, one of the most critical, most conservative, and most important peer-reviewed journals, and a subsequent interview with Rosenfeld, the lead author of that paper, as little as a 
20% reduction in industrial activity will trigger a one degree Celsius global average temperature increase in a matter of a few weeks. That is way too fast for almost any species on earth to keep up with that rate of change. The planet has warmed about two degrees Celsius since the beginning of the industrial revolution in 1750. An additional one degree, that's catastrophically fast, way faster than our, than our crops, our plants, our, the animals we depend upon to filter feed our water, to clean our water, to provide pollination services for food and so on, way faster than they, than they can keep up. So we, keep, we simply cannot afford that, the, the global dimming to be reduced. And yet if we keep maintaining industrial activity, of course, we continue to heat the planet beyond habitability for our species and so many others. Yeah, it's definitely sort of a damned if you do, damned if you don't sort of scenario that all the shit that we're pumping out there is kind of hiding how bad things really are from us in a way. Um, exactly. But, you know, I brought up, you know, the coronavirus at the opening of the show because because of that, we are drastically reducing manufacturing and pollution. We're seeing people are sharing on Facebook, oh, there's dolphins in the canals in Venice, and there's swans returning to Paris, or I don't know what, you know, and people are saying, oh, the earth is healing itself. We're seeing all these changes. The water's more blue, the sky's more blue. And I think that the sky's more blue, especially is kind of where I wanted to go into that of is this going to trigger that, you know, the end of the masking effect? I, sus I suspect that it won't trigger the end of all masking, but it, I suspect it has already triggered enough to drive that one degree Celsius global average temperature rise. We haven't noticed yet. Humans haven't noticed yet because there's a lag. So we were lucky. I, it doesn't sound like we're lucky based on the existence of an ongoing pandemic, ongoing abrupt irreversible climate change, and an ongoing mass extinction event. That doesn't sound so lucky to me, but we were actually lucky with respect to timing of the pandemic. It broke out in winter and then early spring, spread in early spring throughout the planet. Well, that's the best possible time as far as humans are concerned, because the trees are, are budding out, producing their leaves. The plants are growing based on carbohydrates they stored last year. So from a tree's perspective, you can't much hurt me by warming the temperature now. The pain is going to come later in the year when those plants are trying to go dormant because they aren't going dormant because it's too warm for them to go dormant. This will affect, I suspect, essentially every plant on Earth and as a consequence, almost every animal on earth, certainly including human animals. And so the importance of the aerosol masking effect simply cannot be understated. It's ongoing. I suspect we'll feel the results as early as this May or June when the wheat crop is scheduled to be harvested, the winter wheat crop. We might get through it. You know, we might have enough wheat stored from last year's wheat crop to get us through this year. But then what happens when the corn and soybeans and other grains are due to be harvested in September, October? Well, that's when I suspect things are going to get pretty dicey and we could, emphasis on could, not will, could see profound reduction in 
the availability and the harvest of the grain crops. And also, I suspect we'll see even larger tree die-offs than we're seeing now. The forests are going to not go dormant in their, quote, normal way. And as a consequence, we're going to see more and bigger fires, more and larger scale die-offs than we've already seen with respect to trees around the planet. So that's that's in our not too distant future, I suspect, as a result of the loss of aerosol masking that's going on right now. And now, I mean, eventually we are going to get past this virus. Is it too late? Like once we ramp up production again, we start polluting back at normal levels. Will that aerosol masking kind of come back or is it once it's done, it's done sort of once the trees? No, no, no. You know, it could be that we get through this depending again upon the timing. We've already seen profound increases in temperature in China where the outbreak of the virus was, had most immediate impacts on the aerosol masking. And of course, initially this happens locally and then regionally, and then it spreads out to globally. But if it doesn't spread out globally, because we keep polluting like there's no tomorrow every place else on the planet, then we will be minimally impacted by what goes on in China. And that's been the case so far. Profound increase in temperature up to four degrees Celsius in some places over China. Same thing over India because they're in complete shutdown now. So it hasn't impacted the rest of the planet. Will it spread to the rest? I suspect it will, and that's bad news. You know, on the one hand, I hope it doesn't. I, I'm, I'm sort of in this position where I'm hoping for, for more pollution, which is bizarre for a lifelong environmentalist. But because of the aerosol masking effect, because of my knowledge of the aerosol masking effect, I'm in this awkward position of not wanting to reduce industrial activity, even though it's it's responsible for the mass extinction events going on right now. It's responsible for, so as you said earlier, it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't sort of situation. That's why in this situation in particular, I encourage people as individuals to pursue a way of living that best harmonizes with their own psyche, with their own understanding with their own knowledge and so on. Which was a, a good transition into what I wanted to go into next of, you know, for me, the question is, who do you want to be at the end of the world? Um, you know, what, what, if you're going to be your authentic self, now's the time, basically. Um, and you wrote a book called Only Love Remains. Um, so did you want to go into that a little bit? And then we can sort of move into your kind of the what now, you know, if everything you're saying right. is correct, what now? Right. You know, Viktor Frankl, who was a prisoner of war, a Jewish prisoner of war in Nazi Germany in World War II, wrote a book published in 1946 called Man's Search for Meaning. And in that book, there's a, there's a great couple of lines that come to mind from Viktor Frankl, quote, between a stimulus and a response, there is a space. In that space is the power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. The last of human freedoms is to choose one's attitude in any set of circumstances, end quote. And so here's Viktor Frankl who was facing starvation every single day, who was facing potential murder or being sent to the quote showers every single day. He truly believed that any moment might be his last. Any day might be his last. And so did the people around him 
the people he came to know best who were surviving on mere breadcrumbs. And uh, he writes of people in that situation giving their breadcrumbs, thinking this might be the only thing keeping them from living for another day, giving those breadcrumbs to somebody else who they barely knew, another Jew who was in the, in the prisons and giving my crumbs to that person so that they could persist a little while longer. The last of human freedoms is to choose one's attitude in any set of circumstances. I would add only that we get to choose our actions too. And Frankel did that and he pointed how we can choose our actions. So, you know, in this case, the stimulus is my message. My message that it's really only a reminder, something most of us have known since we were 11 years old, we're gonna die. My message though is that it's because of the ongoing pandemic, because of the ongoing mass extinction event, because of the ongoing abrupt irreversible climate change, it's gonna come faster for you and me than it did for most of the people we've ever known. And so how do we respond to that? I'm the stimulus, what's your response? In our response lies our growth and our freedom and the ability to choose how we're going to, as you stated, who am I going to be at the end of the world? And so here's, here's something I wrote in the book you mentioned, um, Only Love Remains, Dancing at the Edge of Extinction. The certainty of death, coupled with the absurdity of life, helps me to live with urgency and authenticity. I'm asked nearly every day for advice about living. I recommending living where you feel most alive. And I also recommend living in a manner that makes you most useful. As Ralph Aldo Emerson pointed out, the goal of life is not to be happy, it's to be useful. So I recommend living with intention. I recommend living fully. I recommend living urgently with death in mind. I recommend the pursuit of excellence. You don't know when you're going to die. Why would you not go out pursuing excellence instead of pursuing mediocrity? I recommend the pursuit of love. I recommend the pursuit of right action and importantly, not being attached to the outcome because I suspect the outcome is gonna be awful for all of us. In the short time remaining in your life and my own, I recommend all of the above, louder than before, more fully than you can imagine to the limits of this very restrictive culture and beyond. And there are a lot of good reasons, perfectly good reasons for living large, for pursuing your dreams, because you don't know which moment is going to be your last. It's difficult living with urgency, it's exhausting. And yet, for me, it allows me enormous gratitude for capturing those moments, for looking back on them and, and, and thinking, I walked away from a high paying, privileged, prestigious job nearly 11 years ago and as a consequence, I got to learn how to grow my own food. I got to become a master cheese maker. I moved to Central America and lived there for about two and a half years. I lived in many places around the globe and was able to interact with many very interesting people as a result. And had I not been living with urgency, with gratitude, had I not been, quote, living large, I would not have had those experiences. And at the end of the day, that's our lives, those experiences. It's not the money we have in the bank. It's not the pictures we have on the wall. It's those memories we take with us into the grave. 
And I just want to add on to, you know, from my perspective, if I only have five years left or eight years left or whatever, I do not want to live that under capitalism. (laughs) I do not want to live that under the system we have today of being a slave to our corporate masters. Like, who wants to go out that way? Like, so I'm going to go down fighting to take that down, even if we only get a couple of good years after capitalism's overthrown. Live those couple of good years, you know? You know, I couldn't agree more, and that's probably the biggest challenge most of us face is our corporate masters that have come somehow to rule and to run this world. I would say to ruin this world, not to run this world, but whatever. And so we're in this difficult situation of having been born into this set of living arrangements. It's pretty much the only thing any of us know, and yet we want to break out of it. And that's a good idea it it, you know and and there's many ways to break out of it there's barter there's helping the houseless a a dear friend of mine Mimi German lives in Portland Oregon and she works with the houseless every single day and is constantly being arrested for her activities because she is serving those who have no voice or who have very little voice in this culture. And that's what I did as a conservation biologist for many years, is trying to get my message out on behalf of those who have no voice, the plants and the animals and the organisms that we just take for granted and grind up in the gears of capitalism. Yeah, and I think it's so very important to not live in fear either, because that fear will rob you of whatever time you have left. You know, you may be right. I could get hit by a bus tomorrow. And if you live in fear, you don't get to live those last that last day or the last whatever amount of time you have left. And fear of change keeps so many people from living the lives they should be living. You're absolutely right. If I was afraid of getting hit by the bus I just talked about, then I wouldn't even go outside. Right. I wouldn't even go out into the street. I would miss all those experiences associated with, yes, potentially getting hit by a bus. But is that any way to live? That's not even living. Living in fear is staying at home in your bed and occasionally lifting the covers to see what's out there. That's it. That's all you got? Come on. We all know better than that. So, of course, there's this trade-off between, quote, living large and also taking right action. So in my version of living large, I have never encouraged grinding the planet into dust. But on the other hand, once you understand the aerosol masking effect, you realize that your individual actions are relatively minor and might not go in the direction you desire. And so then what? You know, most of us in our entire lives, or at least at any particular slice of our lives, during a few weeks or months, we interact with 20, 25, three dozen people maybe. And those are the people who matter. Those are the people in our lives who actually matter. And so let's treat them as if they matter. Let's give them the breadcrumbs, even if it costs me a few minutes or days at the end of my now quite long life. You know, I have, a, I have a very long and thoughtful essay posted at GuyMcPherson.com by a guy named Martin Manley. And Martin Manley was 
one of the most thoughtful human beings I've ever read or read about. And he decided to commit suicide on his 60th birthday. And he explains why. And it's not reading that's for everybody. I'll certainly grant you that. He explains why. His life had just become too miserable for him to carry on. And he apologized to the people he would hurt and so on. I'm not a fan of suicide. Don't get me wrong. As I was reading that on my 60th birthday, which was also my 15th birthday because it was February 29th of this year, I was reading that and it occurred to me, I have now outlived Martin Manley. And I didn't think that would happen. And not because I thought I would commit suicide, but because I thought we would have an ice-free Arctic, because I thought abrupt irreversible climate change would take me out by now, because I thought living in the midst of a mass extinction event would take me out by now, and within the last few weeks, because I thought a pandemic would take me out by now. And so I'm very fortunate to have survived this long, past the age of 60. Some really, really famous people in history have not lived to the age of 60. If I haven't made my mark in the world by now, pretty good odds that I'm not going to. And so that, again, encourages me to live with gratitude for the days that I have and to try to live them as a decent human being so that for whatever legacy I have remaining, for whoever remains after I'm gone, the legacy will be a positive one. It won't be, oh, that guy McPherson, what a turd. You know, I never did blah, blah, blah. He did these horrible things and blah, blah, blah. No, I don't want to be that person. None of us wants to be that person. So why would we, given a choice? Right, exactly. And just to piggyback off what you said, you even on your website have um, contact information for a suicide hotline. Like, you know, you're not encouraging the giving in to despair. That's not what you're about at all. Then, you know, I don't judge anyone for making that choice, but then, you know, they're just that's not what you're trying to bring out of this. You're trying to get people to live, not to die. Exactly. And to live fully and meaningfully, because, you know, we didn't get a choice. Right. We were born in the set of living arrangements. Our parents made the decision for us that we were going to be on the planet. So we didn't get a vote in that. We didn't. Nobody comes onto the planet, looks around and says, no, thanks. You know, but eventually some people do say no things. And I don't think we should judge people for that. If you're going to judge anybody, judge the parents. <laughs> They're the ones who brought you to the planet. And they had the greatest influence, not just genetically, but in your upbringing. They basically, to a very great extent, determined who you are, at least until you're 16 or 18 years old. So if I'm, I'm not judgmental of anybody who selects when they choose to leave the planet. But for those people who are, don't judge those people. Judge their parents. They had more influence probably than the person who committed suicide. Or judge the capitalists also, for getting us into this situation in the first place. Yes. Right. <laughs> I'm always a fan of judging exactly. the capitalists. Like, if your last <laughs> action is shooting a capitalist into space, you know, like into the sun, then, you know, <laughs> I can't fault well, you for I'm that action sure. either. I'm pretty sure one rocket would accommodate a lot of capitalists. Yeah, probably. We could probably fit at least 20 or 30 in there. And that's most of the uh, elite in the world as it is. Right. You know, it occurred to me just about a week ago, maybe two weeks, here in central Florida, where I live now, among essential services are the ability to deliver large appliances to your home. I don't know how this came to be, but that's considered an essential service, whatever. So I took advantage. It occurred to me that the current freezer in this house doesn't quite have enough room for all the ice cream I want to eat. 
because that's a lot for one thing. And so I bought a deep chest freezer. It's in the garage now. It was delivered by this very generous, decent man. And so now I have more room for ice cream than I ever did in my entire life. And I don't think it's really robbing other people of their time on earth. I don't think it's hurting anybody so badly that it doesn't justify me getting to have ice cream in my future. So these are among the big decisions that plagued me today is whether I should buy an appliance or not. <laughs> I should point out, by the way, that apparently it was the last freezer in the whole county. I, I live in Orange County, which includes Orlando. And so the, the guy I talked to on the phone when I finally found, after a dozen attempts, I finally found that there's still a freezer available. He said it's going almost as fast as toilet paper. Huh. <laughs> I mean, I guess I can see people are, you know, trying to stock up for that on that uncertainty of what's coming and you know right. you might need to stock up on extra ice cream or whatever right, exactly. it is. <laughs> so at the end so of the days of you're people... hoarding ice cream essentially <laughs> exactly <laughs> some people it's toilet but paper to you it's fair, rocky road i only have two i only have two gallons stored away it's, it's not like i'm responsible for all of the Orange County ice cream. Ah, so if the people in Orange County are like, there's an ice cream shortage, they shouldn't come knocking on your door. Damn Guy McPherson with his ice cream no, hoarding. No. And besides which, I wouldn't let him in. <laughs> <laughs> Priorities. <laughs> All right. Well, we're not going to go. We're not going to close out the show talking about ice cream. I wanted to give you a chance for a last word for people before we close out the show today. And also any plugs that you want to get in. You know, I think. I think it's important to acknowledge where we are in human history. According to a paper by James Hansen and colleagues published in 2017, we are on the warmest planet experienced by Homo sapiens. And the planet has warmed since then, I promise. And at what point do we lose habitat for all human beings on the planet? Well, we don't know because it hasn't happened yet, obviously. But I suspect the day is not far off because we are continuing to overheat the planet, that we won't have habitat for human animals. And I think that's tragic and it's also absurd. So it plays into my Camus-inspired sense of absurdity through which I view the world. And what does that mean? For me, it means living with urgency and living with gratitude. It means treating with respect the people around me, treating them with love. Do I have any control over their response, over how they treat me? Very little, and I recognize that. And so when people treat me badly, as many people do, as I'm sure many people treat you badly, and many people treat all of our listeners badly, it's, it's the nature of the capitalist beast it's probably beyond their control. It's because they've been told their entire lives they need those last few crumbs more than you do. And if that's the case, I don't have any control over that. So many of the things that I talk about, we don't have any control over. What we do have control over, maybe, to the extent that we have free will, is our ability to respond. Our ability to respond with love, with excellence, with living in a manner that makes us proud instead of making us ashamed to be examples of human beings among the last on the planet. So 
Again, you can find all of my voluminous work at guymcpherson.com, including many videos that have been shot over the years and much of my writing as well. And for me, in, in my final days, I will continue to try to get the message out that matters. I think the message that matters is how we treat each other, including non-human organisms at the end of our days. And so I will continue to try to get that information out to the extent it has any impact. If it impacts one person, I will deem it a success. And I think it has, and I think it continues to affect one person at a time, even if it's relatively few people. I gave it my best shot. And I, I thank you for that. Um, you've ed educated me so much about this. This was, I mean, I always kind of knew like, oh, we don't have a lot of time left just because of catastrophic climate change. But to really start thinking about, okay, well, if we don't have a lot of time left because of catastrophic climate change, even before the whole aerosol masking thing, like, what do we do with the end of those days? So I appreciate that you're having those conversations and starting those conversations. <laughs> Well, thank you, Heather, and thank you for allowing me to continue the conversation with you here on New Jersey Revolution Radio. Well, thank you again, and you're welcome back anytime. You know, hopefully I'll have, be able to have you on a few more times before the end of the world. So. Great. I look forward to that. <laughs> to my listeners, thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate you more than you could know. We strive to be the voice for underrepresented thoughts, underrepresented people, underrepresented communities. The future's yours to create. Go out there and create it.